everybody, and welcome back to the Carolina Talk Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jacob Turner, and we are here for the UVA Review Podcast. Obviously, the Tar Heels went up to Charlottesville this past Saturday, 12-20 kickoff, and unfortunately for Tar Heel Nation, unfortunately for the Carolina football team, Carolina fan base, they come back with a 31-21 loss to what is now the first place UVA Cavaliers in the Atlantic Coast Conference Coastal Division. So this this UVA team is it was not a pushover. I think we all knew that going into the game when we did the UVA preview podcast, me and Mead, um, last week. We were a little bit skeptical of how real this UVA team is. I'm still a little bit skeptical on how elite they actually are. I think it's one of those situations where regardless if it's UVA who ends up winning the Coastal, um, whoever comes out of this side of the conference is is probably going to be 20, 25-point underdogs to Clemson, or they should be at least, because I just don't really see anybody on the Coastal standing a chance against Clemson, especially since they have pretty much wrapped that up after big victories back-to-back over really the two teams that could have caused them any problems in the Atlantic and NC State and Florida State. So, yeah, back to the UVA game, though. Carolina went to Charlottesville. Like I said before, 31-21 loss for Larry Fedora and his guys. And it's one of those games where it was just very reminiscent and similar to what we've seen uh, throughout the season. Carolina, I thought, played good in stretches of this game, particularly in the first half. I thought uh, the offense looked pretty solid in the first half. And defensively, I think the defense played okay for the most part in the first half. And then the second half, just really weren't able to stop Bryce Perkins and company. Alamade Zacchaeus had a really good game for the Cavaliers, over 100 yards receiving on 10 catches. Bryce Perkins' final stat line, Um, 18 for 27, 217 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. Obviously, Miles Dorn with a really nice pick uh, on Perkins in the first half. And Perkins was also their leading rusher with 21 carries for 112 yards and one touchdown. So Bryce Perkins, when you think about it, I tweeted this during the game late in the second half, or excuse me, late in the third quarter, and I was just talking about how Perkins was just starting to dominate this Carolina defense and was kind of toying with them. I remember a few instances where he would take the ball, scramble out to the side, and it was just like he was jogging. He wasn't even hitting stride. He it was like it was just a walk in the park for him. And he really did make it look easy for, for a lot of the game. And it was just a, another disappointing performance. And, and Carolina, when it really came down to it as a defensive unit, couldn't handle Bryce Perkins had over 300 yards of total offense and and four touchdowns. And and on the offensive side, it was just what we've seen all season. They play good in stretches, but for the majority of games, the offense just doesn't perform and doesn't do enough. They go three and out when they really don't need to. I know Carolina had that big turnover with Miles Dorn on the interception, and then Carolina comes out and does exactly what they didn't need and really does nothing on on the drive after that interception, forcing the defense to come back on the field literally two, three minutes after they made a big play and, and put their offense in a good position to, to drive the ball downfield. But looking at the first half, like I said, offensively, Carolina looked good. Obviously, Daz Newsom with a, with a really nice touchdown for the Tar Heels. Carl Tucker also got one in the second quarter. But let's talk about Daz Newsom's touchdown. I think the route 
that he ran and, and the throw by, by Elliott was the best throw I've seen Elliott make all season. And it was one of the cleanest routes I've seen Carolina uh, Carolina receiver run all season. I think Daz Newsom has really tr- started to kind of grow into his own, if you will, over the past few weeks or so. And it's just done some really, really nice things. And, and Daz Newsom's really kind of emerging as that playmaker on the offensive side when before the season, a lot of us thought it would be the likes of Anthony Ratliff-Williams, who has underperformed a little bit this season for whatever reason. I still don't think he's being targeted enough, but that's another time and another day for that. And also Michael Carter, Antonio Williams, you thought they would be big playmakers consistently for North Carolina, but it seems like more often than not, one of them plays good in one game, and then the next one, the other one plays good. But in the in the Virginia game this past weekend, Michael Carter and Antonio Williams only combined for 63 yards on the ground, and that was one of the main reasons that Carolina really struggled to get anything going consistently on the offensive side of the ball. I will say, Nathan Elliott, I thought he had a good, really good first half. Um, ended up total for the game, 22 of 38, 271 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. So, hasn't thrown an interception since that Cal game where he obviously threw four, but Got to give him some respect and some credit for, for really shutting down on those, on those turnovers. Obviously, he had a fumble uh, in the Virginia game that I'm sure he wished he could have had back. But I tweeted this one during the game as well. One of the big stat lines that I was disappointed to see from Elliott, and one of the reasons I'm so critical of him and have been so critical of him this season is because in the first half, I thought he had, like I said, I thought he had a really solid half. Uh, His first half numbers were 12 for 16, 132 yards, two touchdowns. Now, that's not a ton of yards throwing. Uh, If he does the same amount, if he does the same thing in the second half and and equals those 132 yards he had in the first, he would have ended up with just a little bit over 260 yards. So, I mean, statistically, that's not a great game, and that's usually not enough um, in the ACC against, obviously, on the road to, to get things done unless you really just have a stellar running game, which Carolina didn't. But... I tweeted this one in about midway, three-fourths through the third quarter, and Nathan Elliott, about, like I said, three-fourths away through the third quarter, was four for 12 for 47 yards, no touchdowns, and one fumble. Obviously, it's not hard to tell that the third quarter really killed the game for North Carolina. Carolina was only outscored seven to nothing in the third, but at halftime, the score was 20, oh, excuse me, 17 to 14, so Carolina was right in this game, and then the second half, Obviously, UVA wins the third quarter seven to nothing. Score goes from seventeen to fourteen to twenty-four to fourteen, and then the the score lines are kind of split in the fourth with both teams scoring a touchdown. And that was enough for UVA to get it done. But it, it wasn't that the UVA defense killed, or excuse me, it wasn't the UVA offense killed the North Carolina defense in the third quarter. It was the fact that the offense for North Carolina had zero points in the third, and that really just gave Virginia confidence. Four-star defense to be on the field a little bit too much and in the end that we just weren't able to do enough to win. If you look at the total stat lines for North Carolina and Virginia, North Carolina had 14 first downs. UVA had 23 first downs um, passing. Carolina ended up with 271 and Virginia ended up with 217. So UVA actually, or excuse me, Carolina did actually outgain the Cavaliers in the air, but obviously it's not hard to tell that UVA is not too keen on throwing the ball, especially with Bryce Perkins and his ability um, or his inability to really throw uh, a deep ball and really be a consistent uh, passing weapon for the Cavaliers. He's more of a glorified running back, and that's one thing we spoke on in the preview podcast for the 
for the Virginia game last week. And he really showed that in this game. Rushing-wise, Carolina only ended up with 66. Like I said, I think that was one of the big reasons that North Carolina struggled so much on offense and was ended up not really threatening or making this game closer than it could have been. Um, and UVA ended up with 208 yards on the ground. Obviously, Bryce Perkins had a majority of that with 112 of those yards, so more than half of those yards came from the likes of Perkins. So, like I said, he really just dominated North Carolina in this defense and really just toyed with us at times, like I mentioned before. Penalties, Carolina kind of back to their undisciplined ways. Four penalties for 19. Well, that's that's not a lot at all, and that's a lot better than what we, we're used to seeing or accustomed to seeing from Larry Fedora's team. Um, remember in the California game, the ECU game, Carolina was super undisciplined, and they really turned that around this season. The problem is they haven't been able to turn around the wins, and, and instead Carolina's staring at 1-6 and six and 1-4 and four in the conference right now. UVA only had one penalty in the game, which for me – that's a little bit hard to believe. I, I, I'm not, I don't blame referees for anything. I think if you look at the total uh, penalties for both teams, only five penalties called in the game. I think these referees were letting guys play. It's, it's a rarity that I would say a majority of, of all the plays in a game, you could find, pretty much find a penalty or a holding call. I remember a few calls on their offensive line, especially that didn't go called where I, I remember Malik Carney got held on one in the first half. I don't remember what quarter it was or what instance it was, but you would see replays from time to time where North Carolina defensive end and, and D tackles were, were getting held at the line of scrimmage uh, when Perkins was choosing to scramble like he usually does, but they just weren't going called. And um, but at the same time, you know the fact that there was only five penalties called kind of shows that these referees were letting these guys play, which in the long run I really have no problem with. I don't like games that are consistently uh, that consistently see yellow flags on the field. It gets annoying to watch from a fan perspective, and it definitely is annoying for players as well that are actually down on the field competing. Time of possession was the big stat for me, though, if you look at how both these offenses performed. North Carolina ended up with just under 21 minutes of possession, but UVA ended up with 39 minutes and five seconds of possession. That's 19 more minutes, almost 19 more minutes, excuse me, than North Carolina had and for me, that's that's just inexcusable. That, that kind of shows for me how dominate dominant, excuse me, this UVA team was on the offensive side of the ball. They're one of those teams where I, I was I remember watching the first half, and it kind of just seemed like halftime just happened. They just kind of just creeped up on us. And I remember looking at one point, and there's two minutes left in the half, and I'm like, where did all the time go? And one thing I realized is the fact that. UVA just plays a very slow and kind of methodical. They're not really in a hurry up kind of way. They run the ball a ton. And the fact that North Carolina really wasn't able to do much on offense in the first half, I know they ended up with 14 points. They did okay, but a lot of those touchdowns were quick, long pass touchdowns. Maybe besides that Carl Tucker touchdown, which was ended up being a really nice and solid drive from a North Carolina offensive perspective. But Carolina scored quickly, which I'm fine with, but that made the defense have to stay on the field a lot. And the way that UVA plays, like I said, running the ball a lot, kind of slow, methodical offense, it definitely ended up, I think, in the long run, tiring this North Carolina defense more than we would have liked. But yeah, so Virginia Cavaliers ended up total offensive wide 425 yards next to Carolina's 337. So not really hard to see why UVA come out on top. It's less than 100 yards more, I know, but still the time of possession combined with just a really close to 100 more yards on offense kind of shows how UVA dominated this game on the offensive side. And like I said earlier in the podcast, this game really wasn't close. I know the scoreline doesn't seem like a blowout, but North Carolina scored late 
and it was really 31-14. So if Carolina doesn't score late on that Michael Carter run, which is pretty much as a cancellation, or excuse me, a consolation touchdown, then this game ends up being 31-14, and I think you're going home feeling even worse about the, the defeat than, we, than you already were with the fact that Carolina just wasn't able to really ever challenge UVA, especially in the second half. And if they could have kept that first half performance that they had and took that into the second half, then this ball game could have been completely different. Now, let's focus on North Carolina. Obviously, this is a Carolina Talk podcast. This is a North Carolina podcast. So let's focus on Carolina. I know stats don't always tell the full story. I'm a, I'm a, I like stats, but I'm not a huge believer in stats. But I like to always run through them so you can kind of get an idea of how our offense played as a unit and also how our defense played as a unit. Uh, like I said earlier, Michael Carter and Antonio Williams only combined for 63 yards. Carter had eight carries for 42 yards and one touchdown. Antonio Williams was really quiet all day. Seven carries for 21 yards. It's only three yards per carry, and he just didn't do much. I know he had a big run in the second half for 15 or 20 so yards, I thought. So I'm thinking Antonio Williams must have had a lot of runs for a loss, which I don't necessarily remember a ton of, but... I remember Antonio Williams having some decent runs in the game, but you look at his final stat line, it just doesn't reflect that. So Jordan Brown also had four carries for seven yards. So Jordan Brown was was pretty quiet as well. Daz Newsom also got a touch with one carry for, for negative one yard, so it didn't really work out with him. I think that was a little run around the outside that Virginia that the Virginia defense read really well. And then Nathan Elliott, two carries for negative three yards, and that just kind of sums up Elliott's ability with his legs. I know he ran a little bit last year when we saw him late in the season, but this year his his running ability and the the game plan for the Carolina offense doesn't really plan on, around him running at all, and it really plans on getting the ball out quickly, short screen passes, um, stuff like that, and, and not really threatening defenses deep or threatening defenses with Elliott's legs, which is a little bit worrisome, and it just kind of seems like Carolina, as an offensive play calling unit, are really limited to with what they can do with Nathan Elliott at the quarterback position. But right now with Cade Fortin out, Chaz Surratt out, and Jace Ruder really your only other option back there, I can't necessarily blame the offensive coaching staff for sticking with Nathan Elliott. But at the same time, at this point in the season, maybe it is that time where you take a chance with the Ruder, get him some experience, and see what he can do. Because the fact of the matter is, Carolina is 1-6, basically with Nathan Elliott at the helm. Uh, maybe besides the VT game where we played well in the first half until Fortin went out, but we ended up losing that game as well. And I can't really put that one on Elliott. I would have to blame that loss more on the defense and Michael Carter's fumble. But still, Nathan Elliott has played in every game this season, and Carolina's only won one of those games against Pittsburgh where he had a, a really solid performance. But he's not doing enough right now for us to win. And at this point, if you're Larry Fedora, at what point do you say, hey, let me give another guy a shot he can't really do any worse than we're doing right now. I mean, we've only won one game. We've lost four in a row. So what really is the the con for putting the likes of Jace Ruder in there? And hopefully, like we've mentioned before, Cade Fortin will be back in the next couple of weeks and we'll get to see him again. But at the same time, that's one of those things where Cade Fortin only can play two more games before his red shirt will be burned. Obviously, with that new rule the NCAA implemented where freshmen can play four year or excuse me four games a year without losing their red shirt. So I would like to see Fortin come back in and play maybe the final two games of the season if he is healthy. But if it comes down to a point where you're putting Fortin in at the end of the season when he returns at 70-75%, if he's not at 100%, I don't want Fortin on the field because he's a guy I'm planning 
uh, to be my starting quarterback next season and really work with him in the offseason to get him where he needs to be. But if he's banged up, comes in and gets injured again because he's not 100% healthy to play, and then you miss him a lot during the offseason, maybe he doesn't get to participate in spring practice because of an injury, because of you know he wasn't fully healthy when he came back in and ended up getting banged up again, then that's going to end up hurting you more. So moral of the story or what I'm trying to say is if Cade Fortin's not 100%, that we just got to keep doing what we're doing. Maybe give Jason Ruder a shot. And unfortunately, just call this season a bust. Um, receiving yards-wise, Bo Corrales, the leading receiver for the Tar Heels, four receptions for 62 yards, no touchdowns, about 16 yards per catch, which good little stat line. I know he had a nice little hurdle over a UVA defender, which was really nice to see from Corrales. He's kind of starting to emerge into a little bit more of a threat for North Carolina and a guy that I'm really enjoying watching, I believe, he was Carolina's second leading uh, receiver last week, second or third. I can't remember off the top of my head. Obviously, Daz Newsom had a really good game against Syracuse. But Bo Corrales, since he's been back from that suspension, is starting to look a little bit better with some of, with more of the game time he is getting. Also had a touchdown last week in overtime against Syracuse. So it's good to see Bo Corrales getting back out there. And he's only a, a true sophomore right now, so should have him for two more years. And I'm excited to see what he's going to look like his senior year. Uh, Daz Newsom. Three receptions, 56 yards, about 19 yards per catch. So good stat line for Daz, but only one touchdown as well. But my big thing with Daz is those three receptions. Daz is Carolina's most deadliest weapon on offense right now over the past, I'd say, three or four games. And the fact that we're only getting the ball three times is once again just inexcusable for me. As an offensive staff, you have to be getting the ball to your playmakers, especially when your quarterback is not performing at a, at a high enough level to win you games uh, through his arm. you got to find ways to get the likes of, of Daz Newsome and Anthony Ratliff-Williams, the ball, and Carolina's just not doing that this season. Antonio Williams, two receptions for 51 yards, so maybe that's where I remember him getting some big chunks of yards. Um, so Williams did some nice things with his with, with his catching ability, but like I said, on the ground, seven touches for 21 yards, that's just not good enough for a guy as talented as Antonio Williams is. Carl Tucker, three receptions, 48 yards and one touchdown. Obviously had that nice little touchdown in the second quarter for North Carolina, so Carl Tucker starting to perform a little bit better. His, I know his stat line wasn't great, but that was probably his second best game besides the Virginia Tech game this season where I thought he did a really good job and ended up catching over 100 yards and passing. So, And then Anthony Ratliff-Williams. This is my most disappointing stat of the day, really. Three receptions, 18 yards, no touchdowns, about six yards per catch. And like I mentioned with Daz Newsom, the fact that North Carolina is not choosing to get Anthony Ratliff-Williams the ball. I remember in the second half, we targeted him a lot. But we just we like to throw these hopeful deep balls down the field to Anthony Ratliff-Williams, which I don't really get. I know he's a guy and really the only guy on the offense besides maybe Bo Corrales that can go up and just beat somebody in the air. But the fact of the matter is when you're throwing these long balls up to Anthony Ratliff-Williams, these are 50-50 balls and you can't put your receiver in that position continuously. It's going to lower his confidence. It's going to frustrate him because he's not getting the ball in good positions. You're just throwing the ball and hoping and praying that he can go up and make a catch over a guy who may have better position than him, who may be just as talented as, as him as a defender of the past. And that's just, for me, that's not a good way to try to utilize one of your best players and, and probably your biggest playmaker besides Daz Newsom on this offense. We know how deadly Anthony Ratliff-Williams can be, but this season we just haven't got him the ball enough. I don't know if that's down to him not getting open. I think that has a little bit to do with it. I've been a little disappointed with with Ratliff Williams because sometimes he, he is guarded really heavily and I think he is a guy that should be at least creating separation and getting a a decent 
amount of openings every possession and every time Carolina has the ball on a series. But I think more of it goes to the fact that Anthony Ratliff-Williams is just not getting those quality balls that we would like to see. And that really, like I said, comes back to the quarterback position that I hate to keep harping on and I hate to keep hating and kind of throwing Nathan Elliott under the bus because, like I said, great kid. I listened to the Carolina Insider podcast earlier, or last week, excuse me, with Jones Angel and Adam Lucas did, and they had Nathan Elliott on the podcast. I really enjoyed listening to him. I know he's a great kid. I know he's a guy that works extremely hard and has gave everything to this Carolina program, but the fact of the matter is it comes down to can you win football games at the Division One level, and Nathan Elliott just simply hasn't done that as a starter for North Carolina, and for whatever reason, this Carolina coaching staff and this offensive unit for North Carolina just doesn't have faith in somebody else to come in, unless it's Cade Fortin, which obviously Fedora had faith in to start against Virginia Tech, or they're just, for whatever reason, continuing to stick with Elliott, hoping that something different will happen, and to me, doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results, is the definition of insanity, so I'm not quite sure what the problem is with putting somebody back there, like a Jace Reuter, but maybe... It just comes down to the fact that, hey, Jace Reuter is just not ready to come out there and do any better because obviously Nathan Elliott has a great grasp of the offense. He's just so limited in what he can do passing the ball and with his feet that it really comes back and hurts you in a Larry Fedora offense because, like I said, I actually tweeted this, I believe it was yesterday or during the game. I can't remember. I think I tweeted it yesterday. And the fact of the matter is, if you do not have a quality quarterback that can do something through the air consistently, that has a good arm and good accuracy, and not or, and can do something with his feet, then you're really going to struggle in a Larry Fedora offensive system. Carolina's best years um, have come with Marquise Williams. No, was he the most accurate passer? No. But could he throw the deep ball and could he make throws that Nathan Elliott couldn't make or can't make? 100% yes. And he was like a glorified running back there with his feet. He was one of the fastest players on the field every week. Week in and week out, Marquise Williams, not only did he do the simple things, but he did things that you want your quarterback to do. He made plays, and Carolina just doesn't have that at the quarterback position right now. And then the year with Mitch Trubisky, obviously Mitch is a little bit of a phenomenon going second overall in the draft, and you can't really compare too many guys to Mitch because the chances of Carolina ever having a quarterback that good are, are pretty slim, I think, again. so. But when it comes down to it, Carolina has succeeded with the likes of Marquise and Trubisky back there. And what can both of those guys do? They can make plays downfield with their arm, but they can also tuck the ball and run if need be. And we haven't seen that from Nathan Elliott. And that's why Carolina struggled so much over the past couple years. And Chaz Surratt, because you can't forget, Carolina's 4-15 and since the opening game against California in 2017, in which we lost. So the past year and almost a year and a half, Carolina's only won four games, two of those against FCS-level opponents, and the other two coming to Pittsburgh, who is slowly but surely coming our favorite team in the ACC, or at least my favorite team in the ACC, because it seems like that's a guaranteed win for North Carolina. Don't think Larry Fedora has ever lost to Pittsburgh. So if we could play Pittsburgh every game, we might be undefeated looking at a, uh, a national championship run, but right now that's far and few between. So North Carolina, hate to help continue to harp on the quarterback position, but I have to kind of continue to make points. Let's look at the North Carolina defense. Malik Carney, six tackles, three assists. The guy's going to be playing football on Sunday. And honestly, um, Malik Coney is just such a fun player to watch, such a talented player. He's going to be a big loss for North Carolina in the next couple of years. Um, Cole Holcomb, five tackles, 
eight assisted tackles, so ended up pretty much as a leading tackle for North Carolina total with uh, 13 total tackles for the Tar Heels. But one of the big criticisms I did have was Carolina's uh, really lack of ability to do anything at the linebacker position against UVA, and I think that was one of the main reasons Bryce Perkins was so successful was because our linebackers were either having to guard downfield or kind of spy on Perkins and, and contain him, and they really didn't do a, a good job of doing either of those. Trey Morrison, another great game for him. I saw some tweet, I believe it was by Taylor Vipolis of Inside Carolina, that Trey Morrison graded out as the best or second-best cornerback in the nation this past season for guys that were targeted over five times. So Trey Morrison having a exceptional true freshman season I tweeted it a couple of times at Carolina Talk Pod. Be sure to go follow me. Shameless plug right there at Carolina Talk Pod. Um, but Trey Morrison, a guy I just love watching and a guy that's going to be so, so good for North Carolina. We're just so blessed to have a guy like him as a true freshman that's just come in and played well. Uh, I thought Greg Ross Jr., while he didn't play great, I think he had probably his best performance in a Carolina uniform. He made tackles, which is something he was struggling to do earlier this season was kind of bouncing off defenders. I remember Virginia Tech game and Syracuse game, especially since he's been called in to cover for KJ Sales and the likes of, of CJ Cotman. Um, Greg Ross is, is not performed great, but I think last game against Virginia, while it wasn't an exceptional performance, and I think he'd say the same, we could see the improvement that Greg Ross is making. So that was a positive for North Carolina. Miles Dorn, obviously with that interception, love watching Miles Dorn. I think he's Carolina's besides Carney. Um, I think Carolina needs the likes of Miles Dorn in there. I think Miles Dorn, you can see the discrepancy in, in, in performance when Dorn isn't playing compared to when he is. So I think arguably Miles Dorn is Carolina's most important player on defense because when he was out, Carolina really struggled. But since he's kind of come back in, uh, obviously played in that California game and didn't play against the Virginia Tech game, Miles Dorn has looked really good and kind of rejuvenated this defense and and especially the secondary more specifically, and Carolina has started to look um, a little bit more solid on the defensive end, still not coming up with any wins, but you can't really put too, too much blame on the defense. They haven't performed great this year, but I think a lot of their their bad play and, and a lot of the bad situations they've been put in are, are really down to the, the lack of offense that Carolina has had. So defensively, to sum it all up, if I had to grade Carolina's defensive performance I would probably give it a, a C. It wasn't great. It wasn't horrible. I think it was right there in the middle. And offensively, if I had to grade Carolina's off, offensive performance, I'd probably give it a, a D plus. I think Carolina did some okay things in the first half, but that third quarter and really just the whole second half in general took the grade down a whole lot for me because Carolina just wasn't able to help their defensive out at all and really threaten anybody. Against a solid, a really solid Virginia defense, they were only coming into the game allowing 18 points a game. So Carolina, I guess blew out their average a little bit or went a little above the average of what you would expect for a Virginia defense to to allow with 21 points. But once again, Virginia, if you say as a defensive unit or if you tell Bronco Mendenhall before the game that your defense is only going to allow 21 points, Virginia's probably going to feel pretty confident, especially with the likes of Bryce Perkins, Alamba Zacchaeus, and Jordan Ellis back there who have really done a good job um, leading and playing well and giving Virginia some from really solid offensive threats. Speaking on Jordan Ellis real quick before I end the podcast, Jordan Ellis, the running back, was questionable to play for Virginia uh, this past weekend. Ended up playing 16 carries for 64 yards. So Carolina did a pretty good job containing him, but the problem was they didn't really need him. Bryce Perkins ended up with 112 yards of rushing and a touchdown himself. So Bryce Perkins, when it comes down to it, 
um, was the player of the game uh, in, in this matchup and, and really was the reason that Virginia was able to come out on top. And, and Virginia right now sitting at 6-2. and two. I got ranked this week as well, currently ranked number 23 in the country. So one of the big things for me is Bronco Mendenhall came out before the season and said that his team had 27 ACC caliber players on its roster. They were picked to finish last in the Coastal, last in the ACC, and now it's the exact opposite with North Carolina sitting at dead last in the ACC, dead last in the Coastal, and then on the other side, the Virginia Cavaliers sitting at first place in the Coastal and sitting at 6-2 and two on the season. So, got to give credit where credit's due, and uh, much much respect to what Bronco Mendenhall has done over there. Correction real quick, though. I got to give credit where credit's due for Carolina as well. Louisville is actually the worst team in the conference, sitting at 0-5 this year. So, I guess it could be worse, but at the same time, Louisville has won one more game than North Carolina. So, um, I don't know if I'd rather be 0-5 in the conference and have won two games or be like Carolina is in 1-4 and four and only won one game. I'd probably rather be 1-4 and four if I had to pick. But unfortunately, that's just a, a crappy situation to have to choose from. So, player of the game for me on the offense and defensive side, if I had to pick one for the Tar Heels, um, I'd probably have to go with Daz Newsom. He didn't do a lot, but Daz Newsom was Carolina's leading receiver. And that just kind of sums up the game. Nobody really played that exceptional on offense and having to pick somebody out. I'll probably have to pick out Daz Newsom for the Tar Heels. And on the defensive side, if I had to choose a player of the game for the Tar Heels, I would go with Trey Morrison because I've been really impressed with how he has played really just this season overall as, as a true freshman. It looks like a guy that just understands what he's supposed to do and is a guy that just goes out there every week and competes and believes in himself and really just has really made this Carolina program look good from a recruiting standpoint and has made a lot of good plays for North Carolina this season. So, Big shout-outs to Daz Newsom and Trey Morrison for, for solid performances against the Cavaliers. It would just be nice if we could find a way to win one of these tight games and win another game in the Coastal. And, but right now, it has been a struggle for North Carolina. Guys, that's going to do it for me today. I've been Jacob Turner. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Carolina Talk podcast. We will be later this week, hopefully with a guest. I will be back to preview the Georgia Tech game coming up this weekend. Another noonish kickoff for the Tar Heels against a good Georgia Tech team that is coming off a big victory on Thursday night against Virginia Tech. And uh, yeah, guys, looking forward to that one. I think it's going to be a really, really fun game to watch. And hopefully Carolina can bounce back and and get a win. But right now, um, not going to make a prediction. But let's just say if I had to make a prediction right now for the Georgia Tech game, I don't know if I would predict a win, especially with how the Yellow Jackets played against the Hokies in Blacksburg. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Heels.